0: Let's see what's on board today. And welcome back to Educational Triage. This is Tony. And of course, I am sitting here looking at that fabulous face. That is Philip. Hey, Philip. How are you? Well, how are you?
1: Oh, I'm good tonight. I'm decent. I'm decent. Spring's coming, so I'm better. Although the baseball fields are filled with water. But that's another story. <laughs> anyway, it's spring break up here where I live, so there are there's nobody around. They're all playing somewhere else. And in oh. your part of the world there's no longer spring break, is that correct? Right?
0: That's correct. They went yes. back to they went back to school yesterday. Yesterday. And Which for happened? our lovely listening audience. We do record these in advance because I am still a novice at editing. So, and if you check us out on YouTube, because you can catch our podcast now on YouTube, you will find that I am a novice. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm improving and that's what I'm working hard to do. Because in teaching, we work to improve, do we not?
1: We do, we are always looking to improve and mm-hmm. and and learn from what we have i I, I kind of learned to keep some of the stuff that worked. It just sort of evolved,
0: yeah, <laughs> yeah yeah. so even Sounds the like sound, the yeah, even just doing the sound editing on this, um i I'm actually becoming more comfortable with it, and i'm right. I've, I'm still learning, I mean every day I learn something new, so anyway, tonight. Or today, or whenever you're listening, Mm -hmm. this episode, we are going to talk about education policy and where does it come from. As what is an educational policy maker? Hmm.
1: What what is what is educational policy? What is what is the policy for that
0: matter? Right. Right. So what does a policymaker do? <laughs> yeah. And there, there's some things in here that kind of tweaked my, you know, I don't want to say tweaked, but it kind of like twitched. I, I don't know the word, but it just sort of like bent my nose the wrong way. Oh,
1: yanked your chain. <laughs>
0: oh, it did that too.
1: Yank. <laughs> it
0: did that too. Yank, I like it. <laughs>
1: yeah, it so, angry.
0: okay. So because states are failing to meet their obligation Mm. to fully fund K-12 education or even the community colleges. They're just not doing it. So where's all the money going? And believe it or not, a lot of it goes to educational policymakers. (laughs) Administrators. And And administration. So we're going to go through this and we're going to take a look. So... If you're wondering why your school's not getting enough money, look to your state capital and look at the Department of Education that you have in your state. And Mm -hmm. I'm not trying to to say anything against people who work at the Department of Ed. I know so many people and I work with so many people from the Department of Ed on so many levels. They're wonderful people. Don't get me Mm -hmm. wrong. It's just how many layers do we need of bureaucracy in order to teach our children? So let's let's yep. take a look at what those layers are, where they are, and what they do.
1: And a little and a little history behind that too. Because when you said that the Sure. You vouched for the credibility and integrity of the people in the Department of Education. Mm-hmm. And I would say that they're in in the business for the same reason as a good teacher would be, you know, to help kids and, and uh, make sure that education runs smoothly in many ways. Otherwise,
0: are they? they're kind
1: of bureaucratic people. Well, the ones that are dedicated, of course. The thing I was going to get to, though, was that the Department of Education was since Ronald Reagan sort of ran on that um, moray, if I'm going to get rid of the Department of Education, and then he just hammered it throughout the 80s it really defunded it. It really took mm-hmm. a lot of the spirit and a lot of the integrity and a lot of the, uh, just the organization out of the department of education. And, and it, so when you're talking about a policy per se, if you remove the power of the policy, oh, say administrator, like the department of ed, you're going to lose a lot of the focus on what that policy might be. So, you, you don't have enough to work with, I guess, is what I would be saying. And so, even if you're and under the best of intentions, you're sort of pushing the bare minimum.
0: But you also have to remember that the Department of Ed at that time was fairly new.
1: It was. Yeah, actually was. Yeah. What
0: year was. was it established? Like 1971,
1: I 72? I believe so. Yeah. I yeah. think either Johnson or Nixon, I wouldn't be surprised with Nixon. It was Nixon, honestly. I think, yeah, Nixon who did some great things. established.
0: And yeah, yeah. and so just how it's being used and how it's funded and right. its purpose. And then whether or not that we're actually seeing, here's here's yeah. my my hit on it. It's fine and dandy, as long as we are seeing something that actually works and we're right. getting something for our dollar. Yeah, I, I was kind of hitting
1: on the accountability dollar. thing. you said there are great people right. working there, and there's sometimes their product isn't so great, and I thought right, yet sometimes they're set up to not create such a great product.
0: Despite- well, government's not set up to work quickly.
1: no, it is not,
0: and there's um, a lot of redundancy in fact i i I had a great friend who was working. In a county educational system, mm-hmm. and he discovered that there were four other people with his same job.
1: <laughs> That'd be interesting. And
0: he quit. He said, "Why am I here?" And because he was he was retired at the time, mm-hmm. and he said, "There's oh. no reason for me to continue working. This is an insult, and it's sucking money away from the kids."
1: Right. That's interesting that he would he would make that stand. I mean. Well, I see
0: it in school districts. Um, I talk to different people from various school districts around the country, and I hear all about this, and it's everywhere. I mean, there's just so much bloat.
1: Well, because let's talk about what a policy—I think uh, to understand that, I would understand that a policy is—it's sort of defined as, and I looked this up: authoritative allocation of values— which meant that, um, right authoritative, you break that down. Authoritative is, you know, the, the whole definition of authoritative is that it's a learned, respected, uh, agreed upon authority. And then the allocation of course of values. And so when you talk about the values, then you're talking about, well, you know, Americans love authoritative authorities telling them their values. <laughs> right <laughs> then i guess would be my best point i Did think they? maybe that's why yeah that was that was actually sarcastic. um actually they don't at all and there's a lot of value fighting as far as like mm-hmm. what what is a policy um and because a policy dictates that you behave a certain way it, it attempts to create a way of, of inviting ways of behavior and and what's acceptable and what's not acceptable.
0: Right, and so, so yeah. what I have is that a policymaker gathers information, analyzes data, and mm-hmm. develops proposals in order to develop and implement policies based on that. Mm-hmm. So, and oh, okay. so in a sense, it's a mix of qualitative and quantitative data, right? Because they also uh, consult with the stakeholders and that means businesses, interest groups, and the public to get their input on policy decisions. So, according to the research, they say that they're necessary because they ensure that the government is responsive to the needs of the citizens. Right. And they also help to promote order and stability in society. So, oh. Okay, but whatever. But let's take a look at what they actually do. Right. So a policymaker, okay, so they'll identify a problem. It's almost like a scientific experiment, if you will. Right. So they identify problems that need to be addressed. So in our instance, in education. So they conduct research, they talk to people, and they observe the world around them, just like the scientific method. They analyze the data. After they've seen the problem, they try to better understand the problem. And it can come from a variety of sources, survey, census data, economic reports, uh, testing data, what have you. But that's all black and white for the most part.
1: Yeah.
0: Then they develop proposals on how to address the problem. And so these are based on data and most of the data is quantitative because to take qualitative, good qualitative data, that would be, that would be an immeasurable task. I mean, it's, and by immeasurable, I mean, that would fling you far and wide. I mean, you would just have way too much. So, and then they meet with the. They meet with the people involved and the community, so the schools, the educators, the community, and get their input on the decisions, and then they implement these. And so they might create new laws. They might do regulations, create new programs. And then after that, then they're going to take a look and see whether or not they're working as they intend them to work. Mm-hmm. And then they <laughs> do that by collecting more data and conducting research. And then perhaps, mm-hmm. so as what we know, you, a- a you adapt TV and adjust. <laughs> huh? so,
1: so what would make that a weekly TV show?
0: <laughs> It'd be a dull one.
1: No, it wouldn't. Because oh, I don't think, think so? what's happening is the policymakers are looking to make the policies along their own beliefs. In a lot of ways, they're forming the social values by which our schools are driven and holding them back greatly by not exploring new ways of thought and innovation. I would say they're stuck in the mud.
0: (laughs) Well, let's say that it is an experiment, and then they're taking schools and they're using schools as a social experiment. Mm -hmm. Is that possibility?
1: To create policies that would guide schools toward a better outcome. For, that's a good question. For what? Depending for on whom? What your For the is. children, right? For what? For the
0: families, for the society, country, for yeah. society, for a, a certain special, political party. Yeah, I a mean, certain ideology, yeah, demagoguery.
1: Exactly. Uh, yeah, a religion. Mm-hmm. I mean. Certainly, you know the policy in a parochial school is like school uniforms. Um, Not so way. much anymore. Not so some much of, anymore. But some I'm of them used that was to. one of them that way, and right, and and, it, and that's a policy. It's a building policy or a, uh, you know, in this case, the, the, those schools policies, and then some public schools tried it, but they generally don't work in public schools. Not in the
0: states. Overseas, overseas, you can tell what what school students are going to by yeah. their school uniform. So <laughs> yeah, you're right
1: though. Yeah, the thing about that though is Americans never want to be told what they can and can't do, and they'll be. I, I'm telling you, I think everyone has this national identity. Like we know the French is, you know, certain things about the French. They smoke a lot, and they have, make great croissant. And, you know, but that's <laughs> that's kind of bad. But, you know, and there's a national identity with France and Britain and, and other places in the world, but America doesn't have a national identity like. We're all American because we look like it, because we don't, but we're all American. And I think the basic American value is because we love freedom. That's a thing, And freedom means I can do what I want to do within a realm for most of us. I understand that within that boundary and being told to wear a uniform to school is one of the things I'll go, hmm, I want to but choose on that. And most I like, people wouldn't have a problem with it.
0: Right. And I like that concept yeah. that you're bringing up because it really demonstrates how much like rebellious teenagers Americans are.
1: <laughs> That's a good point. They really kind of hang on to that back in high school and, and, and it's, hung out. And, yeah.
0: It's, it's sort of a national norm in many ways. Yes, and, yeah. you know, yeah. if I don't get my way. Well. You know.
1: Even if your way is not well thought out, I I want to believe this. And now, you know, you're not going to, you're not going to adhere to that. So I'm going to demonstrate. And it's like, yeah, but I really don't believe the world is flat. Would you stop it? I mean, there's whole groups of people that are professing. go, this is just outrageous. The world's flat. And it's like, right. Okay. <laughs> now go away. <laughs> it's like, we've gotten through that one.
0: But there's also a live and let live that I believe that. Yeah. Americans are beginning to adjust to that they're starting to learn how to live with but to be quite honest there are the people who are the biggest proponents of of fighting for the rights of marginalized groups also tend to be like the mean girls or the mean kids in junior high school yeah because there's just no middle ground but it we digress the
1: age of the early 20th century liberal. we will we will save them whether they wish to be saved or not right
0: but we digress let's get back you're on right. track you're right okay how many what's the percentage of trained teachers that have become policymakers?
1: Uh, is are you asking the audience cuz i know the answer it was
0: i know you know the answer mm-hmm. but i want people to think <laughs> Okay, at the federal level, 10%. 10% at the federal level of policymakers are trained teachers who have worked in the classroom.
1: And for those in the audience who knew that, how naive you were thinking of me when I said that I worked with a curriculum and instruction director who'd never been in the classroom. (laughs) That fool. None of them have.
0: (laughs) At the state level the average is 15%. Yeah, well, that's
1: And be- at the local <laughs> level,
0: the percentage is higher. It's 20%. Wow,
1: they're cracking 2 out of every 10 that actually have taught or do teach.
0: Hmm. So, here's the, here's where it gets a little patron I I find it rather demeaning. What they say, there are a number of reasons why so few educational policymakers are trained teachers. One reason is that teacher is not a very well paying position. Maybe that's because there's too many policymakers <laughs> who are draining seventy nine billion dollars a year, and that is in 2017 is what the educational wow. department spent on policymaking. Wow. That was the, yeah.
1: Are you suggesting the snake is eating its tail? I am.
0: <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> so people who are interested in educate, okay. Wow. And then many people who are interested in education policy choose to pursue other careers that offer higher salaries. Another reason is that teaching is a demanding job. This is This is the funny part. It requires long hours, a lot of preparation, and a lot of emotional energy. Many people who are interested in education policy do not want to deal with the challenges of teaching.
1: Wow. I, I kind of want to go like in a ring with one of them. Like, okay, let's pair off. <laughs> oh, my I, God. I want to call, call them weenies. <laughs> a bunch of weenies. I don't want to do that. It's too hard. Yeah, I don't want so, to do hard things either, but I do them.
0: <laughs> so they say whether or not it's important for educational policymakers to be trained teachers is a matter of debate. Not to me, it's not. I'm sorry. Some people argue <laughs> that teachers have the most valuable perspective on education mm-hmm. and should be involved in policy making.
1: Which is exactly what I would say. Yeah. Now, what, who better here's to know than the teacher?
0: To add insult to injury.
1: Please do.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Others argue that teachers are too focused on the day-to-day challenges of teaching Mm -hmm. to be able to think strategically about education policy.
1: That smacks of racism. (laughs) No, it does. Like, you know, them, they just can't think at that level. There are no black quarterbacks because they can't think that much. Excuse me?
0: Yeah, it's the same.
1: We're not smart enough to walk and chew gum. Have you met teachers? Some of them go for two hours of sleep and they still show up in the morning smiling with apple earrings on. The syllogism is
0: so flawed. It's Uh, not even funny.
1: Who wrote this? I mean, what? There's got to be a 13-year-old who got an A. He got an A, but it's 13. (laughs) It's 13-year-old. Yeah.
0: Okay. So where I got a lot of my information (laughs) was from reading several different articles. But then I also went to five different chatbots. Oh, AIs.
1: Did you? Did you? Yeah. Uh,
0: and I called the information from them. So the fact that, it, that an AI would put that in there is like that is bizarre. Brilliant.
1: It's the closest thing to the Dutch that we have.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Ultimately, the decision of whether or that. not to, re- to require educational policymakers to be trained teachers is a complex one which should be made on a case-by-case basis. Thank you. <laughs> According to a 2018 study by the National Center for Educational Statistics, only 15% of education, sta- education policymakers had a background in teaching. So that means that the vast majority, of course, I mean, I'm not trying to sound patronizing to you, but we've already established that the majority of educational policymakers do not have a teaching background.
1: Jeez. They also, a lot of them are lawyers.
0: And, okay, now we're really going to, we're going to put, we're going to, we're going to put the the knife in. We're going to go with a double penetration on this with the knives and just sort of splay you out and open and just rip you all around. There are a number of reasons why this might be the case. First, educational policy is a complex and demanding field that requires a variety of skills and experience
1: but not teaching experience not teachers god forbid teaching experience
0: exactly oh
1: not that directly related to student learning that that <laughs> position that's that's no not that one that's
0: too hard second many people who are interested in <laughs> educational policy making do uh making do not have the opportunity to become teachers I, um okay i could I, uh, I, I i need a little more fluff you know, sussing this out.
1: Sure. I mean, they could have spent till they were 31 in their mom's basement, for all I know, which didn't leave enough time to do something meaningful except become a policymaker.
0: I'm sorry. <laughs> right. And they just don't believe that they're qualified to become policymakers. <sighs> um, let's see. So, as I said, $79 billion per year. Geez. 2019 study by the Center on Education Policy found that the average state spent $1.5 billion on educational policy making in 2017.
1: What was that then? What was the po- what of that much money and that much activity, what actually is the policy? Say that again. Well, with all those people working on it and all that money invested, how what exactly is the policy? What are we talking about? National policy?
0: No, policy. educational policymaking for the state.
1: I know. Okay, states. Okay, just this state?
0: Yeah. What? Oh, jeez. This includes the cost of salaries for state education officials, as well as the cost of research, data collection, and other activities related to education policymaking. What? Uh, the policy.
1: Okay, good. Yeah,
0: great. I don't get it. So that would be seventy five billion dollars.
1: Yeah, that's a lot of money that's going toward people thinking about thinking about education.
0: So, and it's going to increase because of the increasing complexity of education policy. Boy, they're just writing themselves into they do. They just
1: write themselves into it.
0: The growing demand for accountability in education. Yeah. What about the policymakers? And the increasing focus on data-driven decision making.
1: Data-driven decision making, because that's what's in the schools. Data. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's exactly what we're dealing with here. We're not dealing with kids or learning or learning styles of the future. We're
0: dealing with data. So let's take a look at where the funding comes from.
1: And we all know what Mark Twain said about
0: that. What did he say? Statistics.
1: Us. Remember about statistics. There's lies, damn lies, and then there's statistics. There's lies, damn lies, and then there's data. <laughs> yeah, it's because it's, you can take that stuff, everyone knows it now, or they should, and say, hey, my data tells me. Well, my data tells me that you're a bunny rabbit. <laughs> <laughs> Here, look. You yeah, know, I mean, I've seen that
0: actually occur with this is not data. This is crazy. Okay. We used to call, we used to call statistics sadistics in college.
1: Yeah. It's just a, I like it.
0: Yeah. So, most of those ah. were pre-med. Um, okay, here's where they get funded. Oh, governments, oh, federal, um, state, local levels. It's used to support the salaries of education officials as well as the cost of research data collection, other activities related to the policy making. Foundations Private foundations provide funding for education policy making. It's often used to support research and development, as well as to provide grants to organizations that are working to improve education. So, foundations are hmm. usually an ideological they usually are source, aren't they?
1: Yeah.
0: And then we have corporations. <gasps> uh. It's of often used to support programs that are designed to improve the skills of the workforce, as well as to support research on education issues that are of interest to the corporation. So feeding the fascist gullet, as it were, in a sense, mm, yeah. but, but also training mm, people in order to be, to be more functional in society and to help the economy. And then we have individuals who provide funding for educational policy making, and it's used to support scholarships and other programs that are designed to help students succeed in school.
1: Mm. Uh, right with schools, but, okay. H- well, higher, higher education or college.
0: You know, they're probably higher education. Okay, but I but. I'm sure that maybe for some private schools and parochial charter schools, schools. That, that there might actually be some. Um, there might be some funding that comes from individuals that help the school, or it might help specific students in some way to give them, help them get a leg up.
1: Academies, private school, charter schools get it sometimes. Yeah, yeah. right. There's a the darn, There's. Again, there's so many interests and in, in, that are uh, in play here. And then you get down to the teacher. I'm just starting to understand how I kind of fit in that.
0: <laughs> right. Right. So it's, well, the teacher doesn't really seem to matter, does it?
1: No, no. And if the teacher is not with the program, then the program runs over the teacher.
0: Right. And so... There were over 1.5 million people who could be classified as working in educational policymaking. 1.5. 1.5
1: million in the U.S. in
0: 2018.
1: Could they be considered lobbyists? Some of those, I imagine, are lobbyists, aren't they?
0: Well, here's what we have. We have, let's see, they are school principals and superintendents, curriculum specialists and teacher trainers. Um, We also have to know that they, we are looking at people who have, uh, let's see, if you want to be hired as an educational policymaker, you need to have, for many people, you need to be able to have a law degree or a PhD. Hmm um you need to have possibly you need to have a degree a master's at least in uh educational policy but there's something wrong with this picture
1: yeah why if you're in educational, educational policy, policy
0: and you don't have
1: educational background
0: yeah, you've never How can you been be an there?
1: authority. How can you possibly be an authoritative allocator of values in a policy, as a policy is, well, if you have no experience of the values in the thing that you're allocating resources for? To and
0: yeah, so quite frankly, what it is is teachers, then, and the students are the lab rats,
1: exactly in this sort of,
0: weird little laboratory that they have going where and, they've
1: declared themselves the authorities yes and they have no basis or grounds upon which to say that none because they don't teach exactly they or, don't have a role in education other than to analyze or yeah and you
0: have and you have superintendents or principals that will just roll over because somebody says this is the person from such and such a place, and this is what they want us to do. And it's always the next best thing. It's a shiny object, right?
1: Yes, it is.
0: And the next shiny object is mm-hmm. not always a great thing. Sometimes it is, and I kind of like that term, brightly colored trash.
1: <laughs> Polished turds. But I that one
0: line. person's trash <laughs> may be another's treasure, right? I mean, it might work for yes. somebody, but... But you can't say that yes. one system yes. is going to work for all students. That is. Perfect.
1: Yes, that's right. That's why. I, I used mean, a little bit of something here and something there. Everything that was ever introduced to me, I openly accepted, took what was useful and really got rid of the rest. The fact mm-hmm. of the matter was, in the end, I had very little of what they had to offer me because very little of it was worthwhile. I used a lot of it that was. I used everything that I could. But you're Right. That's why it's all, it's not one policy. You can't say all of you there are going to do it this way. It's Mm -hmm. just impossible. You you couldn't do your job as a teacher if you did it that way. Well, uh oh. I just Of course. Why not? They wouldn't know that. They've never taught. (laughs) You just do, can't you just make them learn? Oh, yeah. Get your four kids together and make them be on time to get in the car to school tomorrow. No.
0: But students need a teacher who's not so worried about this, but they're engaging with the students and they get the information out to them.
1: Exactly.
0: And they, and they engage the students, not try to pebble their heads with information.
1: Exactly. This is still something that people don't understand.
0: Right. Now, I do use ITIP some of the core elements of ITIP, but that helps me guide what I'm doing. Well, like I said, I
1: took things and I used them and some of them became kind of mine. I used forever, but if it was keeping me from being an effective teacher, I got rid of that particular feature real quick. Right,
0: right. So I think it's kind of, you know, think of it this way. You go into a thrift store and you say, you know what, this would be great If, and then you make modifications on it and you make it yours and it serves the function. I like that. But it's not the same one that you have. And it's not the same one that you, you, oh, there we go. There's my finger (laughs) that you and the audience have. Right. So... It's,
1: yeah. it's, you know not, what I'm saying? Yeah. It, the whole thing is just glistening of the factory model. All the kids are the same part. And you apply this of this uh, thing to this particular piece of equipment and it will always do the same thing. And kids are not nuts, bolts, and parts. Mm-hmm. You said about the middle schoolers. For those of you who have never been in a middle school classroom. <laughs> They are begging for a fight with you. Some of them, they want to figure out how to mess with you and they are going to great lengths to get to to do it. And the last thing you're thinking of is this is not part of the steps. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You're thinking, how can I, you know, yeah. Bring this kid over to me. And yeah, I'm not looking to kick him out. You know, I'm looking to go, okay, mm -hmm, is that the best you got? (laughs) (laughs) But it doesn't fall on that paper for sure. It's not about the curriculum at that point.
0: It's about that kid and I. It's about the relationship. Yeah. And, you know, teachers are getting, they're they're growing so weary of hearing build relationships with your students. And many of them don't even feel as though their administration even attempts to build a relationship with them. Yeah, they're yeah. not
1: given any time to build the relationships.
0: The administration? No, the teachers
1: with the students in in the, in the typical classroom. Mm-hmm. There's you'll have your you'll have your kids that stand out, and then you'll have after that you'll have like if you run a club or do a sport you'll have kids you have relationships with. Right. In a general, um, in a general way, you'll never have the relationship with all the kids like we used to have in those programs when we had thirty five to you know, 30, 35 to 40 kids. I knew what was up with them at any one time. Kind of, you know, a lot deeper than the average bear. But when you have so many students in a regular high school, you you can't build
0: that relationship very often. So a lot of kids just come in and out and in and out. Well, I'm going to bring up somebody who you know and I know very well that yeah. we both worked with in different capacities. And he's a baseball coach. Oh, yeah, I know who you're talking about. And yeah. I'm not going to mention his name. But he is one of the most popular teachers in school, and it's yep. not because he does things, it's because of the relationships that he builds with the students. Yeah. And somehow or other he knows all of their names. Yeah, <laughs> I hate he that. He never guy. forgets a name. And he coaches baseball at, he used to coach baseball at one of the local universities. And my insurance agent is actually one of his former baseball players. And he said, would you tell him? I said, hi. I said, sure. So I walked in and I saw him and I said, hey, so-and-so says hi. And he looked at me and he goes, oh my gosh, how's he doing? Because the last time I heard he was da 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 da. And so we had a great chat about him. I could not believe that.
1: Yeah. So
0: it's, he is an amazing guy. But every one of those kids knows that he cares about them. And he knows he has some kind of trick in order to remember everybody and something about them. And that is, he's absolute magic.
1: He is that way. Yeah. And um, one of the things that I just thought about that I do that he did is when you're in the hallway, it's not the classroom, but it's when it's you try to, when you're in the hallway, you say a lot of highs to kids. They say a lot uh-huh. of highs to you. And that's an indication of of building those relationships. And it is really cool. Uh, right. That's true. It's not just the classrooms. You're right.
0: And he's talking to them all. And you can't get that in an educational policy. They may say you should have all the teachers outside their doors and greeting children. Yeah, But that's, you know, and that's in a sense that is part of building a relationship. But it's also telling the teachers something else that they have to do. When they just finish something, they have to go to the bathroom. They have five to 10 minutes to clean up after the first class, set up for the second class, go to the bathroom, make it back in time. And you're taking that free time away from them, that wee little bit of free time, because they don't get a 15-minute break every two hours.
1: No. And and the other thing about that, too, is that may not be the teacher's personal style. Right. They may be a very wonderfully inviting and friendly teacher without having to stand outside their door Mm -hmm. like everyone else. And that's not given any allowance. And teachers are kind of independent thinkers. The good ones are. <laughs> they don't like to be going, hey, this is the way to do it. It's like, well, yeah, maybe on a Wednesday and then maybe a couple of days next week, but every day? Like, what?
0: Yeah, it's not. <laughs> well, <clears throat> we're not little Russian dolls that we unpack yeah, ourselves exactly. and just place ourselves exactly where they need to be. All we the don't time. like
1: policies. So. <laughs> so they're anti-American. <laughs> they truly are. We like to buck them. Some of them are good.
0: Well, way. if we talk about where we were at the beginning, where I said we're kind of like the national ethos <laughs> is that of a teenager in many ways. Yeah. And um, deep down inside, <sighs> I mean, what our inner our inner child, so to speak, which is pulling something back from the nineties. Um, yeah, inner child. It's true for Americans that we have nice. this inner child. And I mean, look at people who go through midlife crisis. And yeah. so, but yeah. to think that all teachers need to be regimentedly doing the same thing for students in order to make students work, doesn't work. No. And there are so many issues that are coming up because of these bad policies. Do you know? Okay. Finland based their educational system on the American educational system from the 70s. They are outperforming us. Their students go to school for 50% of the time that our students go to school. And for 15 minutes out of every hour, they have free time, recess, or something else.
1: The 70s. The 70s, the same time I, I basically went to right. secondary we were, school. And right. that was when it was reported that we were an utter and miserable total failure educationally in, in, the,
0: in the world. Right. And while we have made some gains, we have made gains in reading and and math, science, who knows, hmm. but why is finland because they're not looking they're you looking must have seen at the, something there there had to be something there
1: i mean i'm saying that the same school system i went i was actually i got recess there was vocational training
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, i didn't realize that there were two activity buses when i first started uh high school there was a late for like the football and the varsity because they had two hour practices mm-hmm. or hour and a half. And there was an early one for just an intramural, or if you wanted to stay after school and work, oh. two activity buses, plus the one that run, drove, drove you home. So you had three bus runs at, at the evening, getting kids home from the high oh, school. Oh, wow. Yeah. We didn't
0: have that. We didn't have that.
1: They got rid of the second, they got rid of the middle one rather quickly, but. Yeah, there mm-hmm. was always the activity bus. You didn't have to pick up your kids from sports practice; they were taken home by bus.
0: Oh, we yeah, just rode our bikes.
1: Yeah, things like that too. But they had it was a totally different time. It was, and, and I do remember that. And I remember when things got a little constricted, and now it's just it's very regimented. I mean, yeah.
0: Well, I remember having a call from a father in California, screaming at me because his son had to walk a quarter mile to get to school. <laughs> and i yeah. said well it'll probably do him some good he goes no it won't a quarter well, Lyle, he
1: can do it i give him his son powder. is doing
0: quite well
1: <laughs> good for the son they they do that despite their kind of crazy parents i yeah. try not to be one of yeah. those crazy parents. he
0: just got married they're gonna have a baby mm-hmm. they're doing really well yeah, um it's
1: interesting because that was not a bad system then if finland's found some things to base in yeah I, they're doing I, great
0: I kind of want to investigate that a little bit more as well, because I keep seeing these. It's a little cryptic. Mm. So I really kind of want to go in there. The other the thing, thing I really want to take a look at, and maybe we can take a look at this for next week. Yeah. And that is hidden expulsions. A good topic, hidden expulsions. Because... I just read an article, it was in the Hershinger report, Hessinger Report and it's about how rather than mark students down as being expelled or suspended, they are placed into alternative programs or transferred to another school in the district so they can keep their numbers low. yep so I think this would be something that because you know we talked about Mm. the disciplinary aspect and we've both been working in programs where this happens so
1: yeah there's that's yeah when you're talking about a system that has a policy if somebody's not with the program they they do pose somewhat of a conundrum on how to deal with them
0: and I could Mm -hmm. see where
1: they would Hide and expulsion to keep their numbers hidden.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So we might actually take a deep dive into that next week. So that would be anyway. Cool. Now you have. Now you have more information on where is our educational dollar going. Yep. As well as where is some of this coming from, and why the heck. Does it seem to be coming out the wrong end of somebody's body? <laughs> oh, so next time you think that something is poo, you understand why. So the best thing to do is to yep. begin yep. putting pressure on your state legislator and legislature to start man- Fulfilling their obligation of funding your schools, secondly, have look for transparency, demand transparency on educational policy, who those people are, where they come from, what are their backgrounds, and exactly what's Mm -hmm. happening. So here, here are the best sources to understand where it comes from. You can go to the government websites. So government agencies, such as U.S. Department of Education, your state Department of Education. You can go into possibly your county, depending on how your school system works. You can look at academic journals, such as Education Policy Analysis Archives, books on educational policy, such as the Education Gospel Gospel by Mm -hmm. Diane Ravitch, who is a wonderful journalist. She's great. News articles about education policy such as those by Education Week can provide up-to-date information about current policy debates, but you also have to remember that Education Week is very much funded by corporations. <laughs> and they run those advertisements, mm-hmm. and so it just blows my mind every time I get my Education Week and the entire cover is an advertisement for something but they do provide you with some really good information yeah there's uh reports from think tanks and advocacy groups think tanks and advocacy groups as center on education policy national education association they often publish reports that analyze the educational policy you may not agree with it, but if you don't agree with it, keep digging. Don't just take things for face value. Dig. And then you can also look at blogs, such as the Answer Sheet and EduWonk. And I will put those down into the show notes for you. And so,
1: mamas, don't let your babies grow up to be educational policymakers.
0: Is that... <laughs> Is that an actual blog?
1: No, that's actually Willie Nelson's song. It's been my Well, I know the song.
0: You know, it came from...
1: Mama, don't let your it? babies grow up to be cowards.
0: Electric Horseman.
1: Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, that's... that's Jane
0: Fonda, was. Robert Redford.
1: That's an excellent film, people. That underestimated, yeah. excellent film, Electric Horseman. Oh It's right. all right. I, it's, it, I mean, it's entertaining. It's and all right. I'm not saying it's up there. <laughs> I'm saying it's an excellent film. Okay. Star, Star Wars War. is an excellent film, too. We all know it's pretty simple. Uh, hey it's you know it was the genre things got shot with a ray gun it was awesome it was the start of whatever it was yeah
0: Yeah. so okay so until next next week may you have good winds at your back good mojo coming your way and we will see you then we will adios
1: aloha